Before we dive into today's episode, there's a couple of things we want to say. First of all, a huge thank you to every one of you listening to the podcast. We crossed 1,000 downloads in the last couple of weeks. Thank you as well to our newly subscribed Patreon supporters. This is a passion project that we want to continue long term, so every bit of support helps. If you like what you're hearing, please consider either joining us as a Patreon supporter or sharing your favorite episode with at least two of your friends. Coming to today's episode, this conversation was recorded in March and does not reference any of the current economic and political turmoil impacting the people of Sri Lanka. Our hearts are with Sri Lanka and our solidarity is with those who are working to build a more equitable future there. As a reminder, Off-Season Chats is a series of conversations we are having with dancers who move and inspire us. You can catch our previous conversations with Kirtana Ravi, Kaustavi Sarkar, and Sai Venkata Gangadhar on our website, offthebeat.dance, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> Today, we're going to have an off-season chat with our fourth guest. She is the principal dancer and a teacher at the world-renowned Chitrasena School of Dance in Colombo, Sri Lanka. A seasoned performer and the youngest granddaughter of Guru Chitrasena and Vajira, she has been performing Kandyan dance internationally since the age of 12. Please welcome to Off-Season Chats, Taji Dayas. Taji, it's wonderful to have you. We're just thrilled to be able to have this conversation, which not only will push the scope of Off the Beat further beyond South Indian classical dance, as we focus much of it in season one, but we're starting to venture into the world of Sri Lankan traditional and contemporary dance with you. Tell us about your artistic journey. So I'm part of the Chitrasena family. So, you know, dance has really been a part of my life from the day I was born. You know, I naturally just came into the dance because it's a part of my family, like my entire family. They're all dancers, starting from my grandfather and my grandmother, my aunts, my mother, my sisters. It's really been a very organic journey. There were really hard decisions or things I had to make. So in one sense, I can say that I've, you know, always really done what I love to do. There have never been points in my life where, you know, I had to rethink or overthink over, you know, certain decisions that I had to make because I was always quite sure that I wanted to become a dancer and because of that I actually stayed in Sri Lanka I didn't actually go abroad to study unlike my sisters because my cousin Heshma she's the artistic director of the dance company and she has studied in the U.S. She has a theater arts degree from Berkeley. She was in the U.S. for about 10 years. And my sister, uh, Umi, she's the manager of the company. So she studied in India for about four years. So they were both out for quite some time. But for me, I soon after I left college, I was quite certain that I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything else. And I just wanted to be, you know, dancing full time and being a part of the company and performing with them and touring with them and that's what made me happy and that's what I did. 
Could I delve a little bit more into what it was like to be immersed in the arts? I know in my own personal experience with candy and dance, I must say that it was really wonderful to see how many dancers are also percussionists in the style. And so I wanted to just kind of delve a little bit more into what was it like to be in classes as a kid, surrounded by family that also are artists. And was your training very formalized or institutionalized, or was it sort of through osmosis or a combination of both? I'll just talk a bit about Kandyan dance and what kind of form it is. It's a very masculine form, and it's born from a village ritual. So there's a lot of chanting, there's a lot of drumming, and actually the dance aspect of it came in much later. So the chanting and the drumming is how it all started. If you have seen rituals in Kerala, in, in the Kathakali rituals, I, I've heard that it's very similar to that. They go on all night and it's done to appease the gods for prosperity, to cure illnesses and so on. The ritual still exists. And in the ritual, the males are the only ones who perform in the ritual. So my grandfather learned the traditional form. And this was like soon after independence. So that's when he started in 1944. He started his school and he kind of realized that after the British invasion, there were certain things that came into the country like dance forms. People were starting to do the jive and the cha-cha and those were becoming very popular. So the traditional forms were kind of slowly diminishing. So he realized that there was a need to kind of resurrect it in some way. So he brought it on to the stage. It was condensed, it was polished. He and my grandmother created this vocabulary or training methods. So we have at the Chitrasena school a separate syllabus that we follow to learn this dance form. Whereas if you're a ritual dancer, then the way you learn the dance form is very different. All the traditional gurus, they have their own way of teaching it, right? So there's no particular strict way of doing anything. This form itself, it's like I was saying, very masculine. We have lots of jumps and turns. It's very grounded. So again, it's very much like the Kathakali form. The Even the main stance is very similar. It's a very deep-seated position. So my grandfather actually went to India and he learned Kathakali for many years. He was at Shantini Ketan. He was at Kerala Kalamandalam. In our training, we have a lot of Kathakali exercises that we do as well because it helps us. I think when it comes to our training, it is very tough and rigid and of course the teachers I've had who are my family starting from my grandmother to my aunt they're very strict teachers and to learn an art form like this that is needed in one way if you are going to learn this and to do it as a profession I think that kind of strict rigid kind of training is needed I don't know I kind of enjoy that in one sense but for some, it just doesn't work. I know in this day and age, there are a lot of students who can't handle that training. You know, we talk about these old gurus who make you sit for hours and hours and then do the same step for like weeks and weeks. And for me, that's how I was trained. And I kind of enjoyed that training because it really pushed me to my limits you really push yourself. And if you really want to do it, you really push yourself to the limit. Learning under my family was never easy because for them, it was if your family, then 
you have to work double the time and put double the energy into doing what you're doing. After a while, you actually start thinking, okay, I mean, if I'm going to be the principal dancer of the company, then, you know, people would say, oh, it's all within the family. No one else, you know, there's no one else coming up. So that was a pressure for me. I didn't come to this place because I'm family. It's really because of my hard work. And I know people who are with me would know that and who dance with me and my dance colleagues and my teachers. I mean, that has, in one sense, been a bit of a pressure for me. I do work double the time and put in double the energy because I know as someone from the family who's continuing the legacy, the hopes are very high. The bar has been set very high. So to kind of maintain those standards, it's just constantly you're pushing yourself. And even if you take a break one day, you start to regret it or you're like, oh, I mean, I shouldn't have taken a break today. (laughs) I should have done this. I should have done that. There's never a moment where you're at peace because even after a performance, you're like, oh, the next day I'll take a break. But then you end up like going for a walk or for a jog or something because you just want to keep your body active and like you feel like you've done something for the day, even if you've not practiced. So yeah, I think coming to your question, I think learning under my family has in one way had a very positive effect on me because they've really pushed me and they've been really strict with me. So that I think has helped me to come to where I am today. Thank you. That was lovely because you touched upon many key things, especially about family legacy and the expectations of upholding and continuing a family legacy. When you are on your own and forging your path, you don't have somebody in the family that is the example. It can be kind of terrifying, but at the same time, you're the one holding the ratchet in the forest and hacking away at the trees and the weeds, but you're creating the path. In this case, it sounds like you're doing a bit of both. You're not only forging your own path, but you also have a bit of the torch that you can have from the family lighting the path as well to help you along the way, which I think you have made a really good point. It's not just about family legacy. It's about hard work. It's about dedication to craft. It's about dedication to technique and to artistry. It's not an easy path. You know, this is something that has been coming down through years in the family. We were never forced into it. So my father, who is Guru Chitrasena's son, is not a dancer. So he was into sports, he was into rugger and cricket, and he's now an electronic engineer. My grandmother did try to make him dance, and he did dance for some time, but he was just not into it. So my grandfather never forced him and said, you know, just because you're my son, you know, you have to do this. So, So even for us, we never kind of had that pressure of, you have to do this. Actually, my grandfather said, if this is something y'all can't do, just don't do it. Just let it go. It's okay. Like those are kind of his last words. And I know you mentioned that you just knew that you wanted to be a dancer. And so you just you just followed that. But when you're navigating things like COVID and so all these different challenges, big and small that come through, how much does this idea of legacy factor into how you navigate these things? In one way, it is important to think of legacy and how it was done or how it was brought to this stage by my grandparents and my aunt. But after a certain point, you just can't. You have to find your own ways of how to do it and how to take it forward. So like I was saying, my cousin Heshma, who's the artistic director of the company. So every time we come up with a production or anything, like any kind of event, 
it's always within those certain principles that my grandparents followed but she would always try to do things that would fit this time and day so it's not like oh my grandparents did this so we have to do that that pressure is not there so if that was there we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now so we kind of do things our way but of course always thinking back on how my grandparents did it but tweaking it to suit audiences today and you know times now so and in a way that sounds like that's what they did in their time as well right they saw what the need of the moment was exactly so like they bring adapted. it onto the stage even there were so many changes that the dance went through so actually my grandfather i think one of his first performances on stage he was like booed off stage because he came from this english speaking family background and then there he was on this stage in this traditional attire like dancing and people were like what is this you know so he was kind of booed off stage but he was greatly also influenced by artists like uday shankar my grandfather kind of figured out okay maybe if i tweak this costume a bit to suit the stage and to suit the form maybe people would see something different in it and accept it or he wore this very kind of short costume where his body was very revealing the form could be seen much more then people were like oh okay what is this you know so is this the same traditional form or is there something different in it so you know people were becoming very curious so So yeah so in one sense the form also went through a lot of changes because we are you know practicing a living art form so it will evolve you can't stop that right but how do you choose to evolve it or change it is the question This is very interesting because you can see this especially in Ameya's style of dance in Kuchipudi with Venpati Chinna Satyam and how he also innovated a lot with the traditional style of Kuchipudi. There's some intriguing parallels here with Chitrasena's contribution to Sri Lankan dance at large that there is with say um a figurehead like Venpati Chinna Satyam for Kuchipudi. The question that I wanted to segue into dovetails what you just spoke about about changes that were introduced to the form not only through your grandfather but through the work that you and your artistic director and cousin Hishma have been doing recently what is the role of social media on your artistic and professional journey and has that influenced the way in which you create work now or the way you teach now during covid obviously everything went virtual so you know doing workshops and performances and you know zoom meetings and classes online so all of this is very very new to us in one sense something we were not very open to cuz i think for us you had to be in the moment with the people with the drums and that's how you always connected with your art form right we couldn't just picture ourselves you know in a zoom meeting having one drummer in one place and then another dancing in another place and then you're not in sync there's a lag and it's just not something we could do right so for i think a good 7 8 months we just didn't do anything we didn't teach we didn't perform because we didn't know how we were going to get on this new platform and get ourselves going and people were already like starting on zoom and doing these even performances and it was just amazing to see also i mean it just depends on how you do it and how well it's filmed and all that so for me our dance forms you have to have the live drumming to be able to really feel that connection with the form and because the dance and the 
drummer has, we call it like a marriage. So there's a very strong connection between the dancer and the drummer. So the drummer follows the dancer. There are moments where the dancer follows the drummer. We interact with each other on stage. We dance together sometimes because most of our drummers are also dancers. That connection, I feel, is lost when, you know, it's over a virtual platform. Even for the audience, you know, it's very difficult to watch through a recording and figure out like what's going on, you know, really feel it. For us, it really took a long time to get on these platforms and then start figuring out how to teach online. And because after a point, we just had to do it because there was no choice because it wasn't like, okay, this was only for a few months or then it became a year and then it became one and a half years and two years and we're in the third year now. So we're like, okay, we have to start somewhere. So we got our online classes going over Zoom and then we had to figure out a strict guideline on, you know, how you follow class for a student, for a teacher, like how we instruct them online. Then the syllabus completely kind of changed online Mm. because we weren't able to follow our usual syllabus. So how we taught online, what we taught online, everything changed. And then we started getting these requests to do like workshops online. Then we had to figure out how to do that and how, you know, setting up mics and setting up computers. It's just everything was so new for us. Now we've kind of fallen into that whole pattern. But I don't think it's something we want to stick to on a permanent basis. Like it's something really we can do without. And I'm just waiting to go back into like live performances and having a live audience in front of us. And you can't compare that feeling to anything else. Nothing can kind of match that. I know in these times, you need to be out there for a greater reach. It's great to be online and on social media and we're also trying to figure out how we can put some of our content out on YouTube. I think social media is great to get the kind of content you do out or to a broader audience but I think it's very important to figure out what kind of content and how much you put out there because I have this little issue of putting videos or stuff out on myself, I always feel like it's like monkey pressing her own tail kind of <laughs> situation. So I have that issue. So I always, in case, unless someone else posts something, I am not uh, that person who's out there kind of posting videos or pictures of myself. Still trying to figure that out, <laughs> as you can see. Uh, yeah. And, and I think the rules change, right? Earlier on in the pandemic, it was much more raw, the videos that were being posted over the course of the you know last two plus years. Now you have these like extremely polished clips. You know, one thing that Kiran and I definitely have had conversations about over the last couple of years is the nature of what is danced itself changing, right? Coming from like a Kuchpuri background, being more familiar with Bharatanatyam. If we do a whole performance, there's the build up and then you're warmed up and then you do the slower pieces and then you end with the finale. You don't have that when you're putting a reel or 
a clip. There's a very small slice of the form. I don't know. That first small clip, you can only put a certain amount. Like there's a time period. Like a minute or so. Yeah, which is also, I mean, interesting. Like you said, video qualities and all that have really improved. And I saw recently there was this project an artist had done and it was very interesting how they had done it. So they were focusing on like certain aspects in dance forms, like if it's expression or if it's a mudra or so it's just like one aspect of the form. So you like really delve into that only. And just within that, whatever, one minute or 30 seconds, you just only see that, which was I thought was quite interesting. So it is at the same time, it's like you had to rethink content for a virtual format versus stage. And so the repertoire changes completely. When we perform, we have at least like five or six drummers playing for us and they're all outdoor drums. So they're very loud. And, you know, for some, it can be too much, but for their ears, but for us as dancers, the louder and the more drummers, the more energy you kind of receive from them. So yeah, that has been one of our you know, main challenges to try to figure out even if we do any kind of thing online, how do you get that same intensity for the drums? So I know there are certain recording techniques and that can be figured out now with like technology. And it costs money though. <laughs> exactly. That's the that's other thing. <laughs> so yeah, but it's just a matter of time and trying to figure out how to do those things so and I think there's really something about being in a physical space being in community with people right and you know the way that that connection in physical space in a performance or practice or what have you you can't replicate that virtually yeah exactly I mean after being away from all of it for about I don't know one and a half two years and we finally started physical classes you actually feel the change like you start to feel those connections again and the way you practice the form the way you feel it it everything just starts changing and it was a very difficult time during the pandemic to continue my practice I went through a very low period and during the start of this year we started physical classes and immediately, I mean, I could feel the change inside me. Like for the first time, my mood, my body, the way I eat, everything just started changing. And it was amazing. Actually, it was amazing to just kind of feel that change also in me, you know. So it was just, just great to be back in, in the studio. Again. I mean, I think it's one of those things where after having to give it up, when you get it back, it becomes that much more precious Kind of taking this into the areas of a little bit of speculation, I guess. Where do you see dance going in the next five years or so? That's a very tricky question. I've never been asked this question a couple of times, but I've never really had a solid answer to it. When my grandfather brought the dance form onto the stage... He did it with very good intentions. You wanted to resurrect the form. You wanted to let it be seen in a new light. But you didn't want to harm it or, you know, tamper with the essence of it. And he didn't, actually. So because our art forms being brought down from generation to generation through a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges, like the traditional gurus, the way they practice the form, they have no financial support but they still keep doing what they love to do. And it's the tradition of our country, right? So they do it with a lot of pride. And when my grandfather took that step to bring it onto the stage, 
he always went back to the roots and he was very sensitive to what the traditional gurus did and how they did it and even when bringing it onto the stage he was very careful about how he would change it or experiment within it he did it with a lot of good intentions but i don't think he kind of saw where it was going to go from there for my grandparents it, they really just loved to dance and they loved to perform they loved to teach and that was it there was nothing beyond that because it's such a rich art form they wanted to experiment with it and that was their intention there was nothing else even for us as the third generation of the company what you see today is a very watered down version of all that in one sense it's a little disheartening but as a performer you have to or you want to keep maintaining those standards that have been brought down for so many generations but to keep doing it in that way is very difficult now especially financially it becomes very difficult so in sri lanka there are no dance festivals unless you organize your own performance there's no real support like that even the government they have their own dance troupes so that's what the government supports so private companies they basically have to pave their own path but in this time and day it's very difficult to get anyone to financially support you in that way because everyone's struggling right now with the economic crisis in the country we do for ourselves and then we kind of have to figure out how to keep the traditional gurus also going because they are our inspiration to do this if they don't continue to do what they do we're not going to have inspiration to work with going forward not just dance even the drumming teachers the mask makers the costume makers we have to make sure that they're all taken care of while teaching the next generation we also have to look at how our earlier generations are doing and are they able to continue their art form so it's a lot of going back and forth within the company like how do we sustain these people how do we get them to continue to do what they're doing so we've kind of blocked out that whole thing of where is the dance heading uh, because we have no control over that within the company we have control over what we do yeah. right we do things kind of concentrating on those people in 2018 we did this festival called the guru gedara festival which was a brainchild of my cousin heshma we have a very beautiful and very simple space where our studio is with a little garden so in the garden space she put up these tents and we had these gurus from different traditional backgrounds like mask making and costume making and drum making and pandal making so they'd make these pandals here with the banana tree trunk we brought in those gurus and we had a four day festival of where we celebrating the gurus who have paved this path for us to become stage performers or you know traditional stage dancers so it is the ritual artists who have inspired us to come to this place really so that's why we always looking back into our roots because it's very important to know where you come from otherwise you're not going to be able to figure out where you're going or where you want to go. I'm going to kind of ask a loaded question. I hope you don't mind. It sounds like Chitrasena is really dedicated to, you know, sustaining itself as like sort of a cottage industry of Sri Lankan heritage, not only in terms of just dance and music, in terms of visual art. Is that something where you see Chitrasena continuing to further develop in 5 years? 
all these allied arts are very important for the continuation of what we do as dancers definitely focusing on those things so even the gurugedra festival we are hoping to do different versions of it so even in 2018 when we did it we had you know all these artists doing workshops and master classes and so people in colombo i think mainly got a taste of what these art forms are because actually you'd be surprised there are people in colombo and around the country who do not know that these art forms exist in one sense it was very educational for the audience to know what these art forms are and how they are also connected and i think that's definitely something even in another 5 years where we'll be looking to develop and do different festivals and workshops we were planning on doing like a fringe festival where there are little little concentrated kind of workshops on some of these artists because none of them have support to do what they're doing so as a traditional contemporary company now based in colombo that's what we're mainly focusing on doing kind of bringing these art forms out into colombo and really kind of trying to educate the audience that there is a rich cultural heritage here that we need to promote and we need to support so i think that's definitely <clears throat> something we'll be focusing on yeah you said something very important it's about cultivating an audience i think that's the challenge for where dance is going it has to be in conversation with the idea of cultivating a new audience the average age of the rastikas we call them for indian classical dance is 60 and above my own friends who were my age many of them were non-dancers were not interested in coming to it because i felt like they weren't given the right kind of introduction to the forms but if it's presented and packaged in such a way where it's sort of essential knowledge like the way that you're doing with chitrasena even though this is where dance is going to be heading towards cultivating new audiences you have the brilliance of a tradition that is so multifaceted that speaks for itself in many ways i remember when we were talking about music academy and performing in chennai this was back in 2012 i don't know how it is now but everybody in the audience mainly elderly people you know they keep tall and they know everything i mean i was really amazed because we don't get audiences like that in sri lanka where you know they're so connected with what is going on on stage like they know everything the tall system they'll be clapping and putting the tall and that was something that really stuck with me when i went to chennai and we went to watch the music festival and the dance festival yeah that was a great experience there segueing into something a little bit different what is the best advice you've received during your dance journey so far at one point i really wanted to try to apply to university in sri lanka because we have a visual and performing arts university i think it's like one of the only two universities in south asia or something but i wanted to apply there because i wanted a kind of different experience to what i was getting during that time through the dance not particularly practically but theoretically like i wanted to learn the theory of it but i think one of the best advices i got was not it's like a four year degree and we have so many students from the university coming into our company to learn dance and i almost we always ask them like 
what were you learning for four years? Because <laughs> it's like you have to start from scratch. You have to completely erase everything and start from scratch. And it's like those years that they were in university, I have really developed myself as a dancer much, much more. And the kind of experience I've gained as a dancer through those years is much, much more. And I think if you want to be a stage performer, I don't think going to university here is the greatest decision to make. So I think that was definitely great advice that I got from not just my family, but from other artists as well. So Performers, we have such a short period of time. I mean, my grandparents and my aunt, they all dance till they're 60. But I don't know how, you know, it's going to be for me. My body is very different. How I do things is very different to them. So that's what I mean, those four years, even these two years during COVID, was torture because you're constantly thinking like, oh my God, what is my body doing? My body's not doing anything. <laughs> There's so many facets, right, to any art. We need the thinkers, but we need the doers and we need audience and we need the musicians and we need the visual artists. And I think it's important to know that, you know, we can't do it all, but we just need different people to go towards what speaks to them so that as a whole, we're able to keep things moving. I have a strong base where, you know, I have the Chitrasena company to go and, you know, dance with and perform with. But a lot of students who come out of the university here with the degree certificate, basically you get a teaching post. You're kind of put into some rural area, school, or if you don't get a teaching post, then you are put in an AG office to do a desk job. You know, these students come to us and be like, you know, Miss, I'm doing this desk job and this is not what I want to do. And, you know, what do I do? So for us as a company, we have this scholarship program, again, something that my cousin Heshma started where we give opportunities like a scholarship to students who would like to continue dance as a profession. So it's like a two-year intense training every day they have to commit every day and basically we provide them lodging and we give them a small fee for their food and you know basic so it's only about 10 students who get the opportunity to do that so we have an audition and we choose and so when we have students who come in like that who are really passionate about doing dance on a long-term basis then we offer these scholarships but what happens is after the two years done when they have to go out on their own and figure out what they want to do they're not able to support themselves to go forward after that they have the option of joining the company if they would like to stay with us but for them to venture off on their own they don't have support and even as a company we're not able to support them in a huge way. So then it becomes difficult for them and then, you know, they have to do some jobs. So it's like a vicious cycle. <laughs> like there's no proper answer to any question. <laughs> no, and I think that's what is hard to navigate with art because what do we need to do to make it sustainable? I don't think that's anything that individuals or even individual companies can solve for. That's something that has to come across the society as a whole, right? I think these are hard questions that we really have to come together collectively to solve for. And there isn't necessarily one right answer, right? I think what's possible in a city is different from what's possible in rural areas. The kind of support that might be available in one part of the world might not be 
as doable elsewhere. And then things like pandemics happen. <laughs> yeah. The students, like the other options of, you know, if you want to continue to dance, you have these events that you can go to and you do like this welcome dancing things and, you know, at a wedding, which we as a company, we don't do. You know, for students, after their training period is over, for them to figure out what to do and what path to go on is very difficult here in Sri Lanka because if you want to earn the money then there are ways of doing it you know it's a very difficult path for an artist I would say here. The last question that we have that is the deep diving sort of questions are there any projects that you're working on right now that you'd like to share or discuss? We're working with this German artist. So there's a dramaturg and then there's this other lady who is into theater and film. And so they kind of approached us with this project. So we have this huge history and archives with us from the 1930s. So they wanted to really dive into those archives and see how dance has evolved, how the legacy has evolved through these three or four generations. So actually, we're the fourth generation on stage because my great-grandfather was also like a Shakespearean actor and director. And I think in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, they came down to Sri Lanka and we started shooting. And so they were focusing on the women in the family. So it's mainly about my grandmother, my aunt, Upeka, who was the principal dancer before me and also my teacher, my guru. And then they were going to focus on me. So these three generations and also focusing on three periods in our country during that time. So during my grandmother's period where it was just post-independence and then my aunt's period where during the civil war and now when it comes to me with all the development and then the challenges of the pandemic, you know, how this art form has continued and has evolved through time and challenges. And we haven't really had a formal performance of it because it's uh, actually, uh, I'm not quite sure what you call it. It's like an installation. So there are screens and there's live performance, there are videos going on, there's dialogue, there's chanting. So there's all of these different aspects in it. And it was very interesting for me because I wasn't only dancing, I was, there's acting, there's dancing, there's singing. And so all of these different things. So I really love being a part of that whole process. And I hope we'll be able to perform it soon. But with the pandemic, everything kind of was stalled and we couldn't meet. But they actually did kind of a virtual version of it in Berlin. Like you had to wear these 3D glasses and you were able to watch the whole thing through that. I'm not sure how the whole experience was because we weren't there to actually see it. But uh, I heard that it was really successful and that it went off really well. So I think sometime this year or next year, we're hoping to bring it down here. The next one is, of course, the collaboration with Nityagram. I think Kiran had seen Samhara, which was the first collaboration they did with us. And now we're working on this new production. Actually, we toured it once in the US in 2019 called Ahuti. We're supposed to be touring it sometime end of this year. But we're not quite sure of the schedule. It hasn't been confirmed yet. Yeah, that's something exciting that's coming up as well, hopefully. And the other project is actually my grandmother just turned 90 years old, I think, uh, it, 
yeah, in March, on the 15th of March. Wow. So, Happy yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> so, yeah, we couldn't do anything big for her, but we did like this very private performance at the dance school itself. But my cousin and my sister, uh, Umi, they're working with another artist from Germany to do like a virtual exhibition on my grandmother's life and journey through the dance. So I think it's supposed to come out sometime next week. So it will be available online very soon for everyone to see. Yeah, that's amazing. How do you say grandmother in Sinhalese? Achi. Achi. Do you say Vajira Achi? Uh, no, I just say Achi. <laughs> Achi. I mean, in terms of protocol, like, would you say Vajira Achi? Uh, no, then, I mean, all the outsiders say Vajira Miss. <laughs> miss is like teacher or, you know. Yeah. yeah but uh, I don't know English. why we say Miss. Ma'am miss or Miss. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. From off the beat, we'd love to say a very, very special happy birthday to Vajira Achi. I know I'm not supposed to say that, Vajira Miss, but we want to wish you a very, very happy 90th birthday. It's a huge milestone. My grandmother, we call her the living fire because my cousin, when she was in uni in the US, she had to write something on my grandmother and she titled it The Living Fire. She has this willpower to do things no matter what. I think in one sense, the whole company kind of continued its work because of her, you know, uh, because my grandfather was, after a certain time, she was very frustrated with the way things were going and how dance was turning out. And I don't think he was very happy. So he kind of gave up in one sense. But my grandmother is the one who kind of took it on and said, no, no, we have to do this. Let's just do it. So she's the one who got all the performances going. And my grandfather used to be the one who used to look at the larger picture. But my grandmother was the one doing all the, the nitty gritty work and getting everything on stage. So even today at the age of 90, she would say, you know, why why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? Let's do a new production or uh, let's get some ideas. And so she's always like full of energy and and wanting to do things so she's really our inspiration even as the third generation so it's really great to have a living example like that in your life who hasn't given up even at 90 so uh, oh you know gosh, at the yeah. yeah at the age of 30 like what 33 you know yeah. I'm also like oh no I have like what another 60 years to go <laughs> if I live that long <laughs> We're going to sort of turn the questions a little bit. This is hopefully going to be a little bit fun. Okay. Um, just <laughs> is rapid, this your surprise segment? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, these are sort of the rapid fire questions. These are not necessarily that serious. You have to excuse me if my answers are not so rapid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to jump into the first one. So what's your theme song? If you had a theme song, what would it be? <laughs> Someone's answering from the back. <laughs> no. If I had a theme song, wow, I've not, not even thought about that. If I had a theme song, wow, I'm sorry, this is taking a lot of time. <laughs> like sorry, I said, time. my answer is not so rapid. Yeah, a song that I listen to all the time. Not necessarily because it has to do anything with life or whatever or how I'm feeling, but it's just a great song. I love this artist called Abhi Sampa. Yeah, so there's this song of hers. It's like a Kavali song sung to the gods that 
yeah, I listen to all the time these days. So that has been my theme song. Most of her songs are like my theme songs these days. So. <laughs> Next question is a fill in the blank. If I could collaborate with anybody, dead or alive, I would choose blank. Well, Nitagram, I think any day, <laughs> any time, <laughs> even if they're dead or even if they're dead or alive, I think. <laughs> even yeah, I think Nitagram would be that any day. Like Shrupadi, uh, I think working with her has uh, been a pivotal moment in my career, and uh, so yeah, definitely Nitagram. Hello, Shrupadi, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> If you could only perform one piece for the rest of your life, what would you choose? One piece. Wow, that's so difficult. There are so many pieces that I love performing. I have to say, like, my cousin's choreography, Heshma, again, has molded me into the dancer I am today. You know, it's just not enough to be a great dancer. You also have to have the right choreography that suits you and brings out the best in you. So I'm extremely lucky to have her as my choreographer now. Most of her pieces are very challenging to perform because there's also a lot of emotion in it. But, you know, Candian dance is not uh, emotive dance form. So we just emit pure joy when we dance. It's unlike in Indian classical forms where you tell a story through the form. Our form is just an abstract dance form, kind of like ballet. But with her choreography, I think we've actually started to explore that emotion through form and what it's telling you as a dancer and what it could tell an audience. So all of her pieces have been extremely challenging to perform and I love to be challenged. So in terms of the pieces that she has choreographed for me, I would say I think Moksha is one of the pieces that she did for me in twenty. 40, if I'm not mistaken. And I've had a very weird relationship with that piece because I, I used to love performing it at one point and then I started to hate performing it because I was just not <laughs> getting in it. I was completely disconnected. I wasn't feeling right when I was performing it. It felt like alien to my body. And then again, after a certain period of time, I started performing it again and kind of becoming comfortable with it with time. It's now that I'm actually starting to connect with the piece. In terms of my grandmother's pieces that she's choreographed for my aunt, I think Ranga is a pure dance piece, a Candian piece, is something I really enjoy performing all the time, anytime. <laughs> it's a piece that was choreographed for my aunt, Upeka, in, I think, 1980s. Train or plane to a dance performance? I think train. Yeah, if it's in Sri Lanka, I think train because the train journeys are so beautiful here. Anyway, but here yes. we, we don't travel from city to city on a plane because, you know, it doesn't take that long. So it's a small country. <laughs> What's your favorite meal after a performance? I shouldn't be the one talking about meals because I'm a very poor eater. My family would be laughing if they're listening to this and be like, <laughs> oh, look at her talking about food. <laughs> But after a performance, I crave sweets. Like I crave things like cakes and I love chocolate chip cookies and all junk. Mm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I crave sweets after yeah dancing. So, <laughs> What's one thing people get wrong about you? 
I don't know, really. <laughs> but uh, I Your feel like... Your partner's in the back. You can yeah. ask him, right? <laughs> <laughs> He'd have a whole list of things to say. But... <laughs> no, no. But I think in general, when it comes to people, I think I, I don't express myself too well. I'm not very open. I tend to, you know, bottle things up. So then people tend to read me in a wrong way, I feel. I think it's very important to say what you feel, especially to family and, you know, your partner, or your friends. But sometimes when you tend to bottle up or when you go silent, even they start to sometimes read you in a wrong way. So uh, I think that has happened to me a couple of times. Yeah, I'm still learning <laughs> through my mistakes. <laughs> what might be something that your best friend teases you about? Never having the time to meet up or, <laughs> you know, do anything, basically. So they always tease me, even if we plan, like, to go on a trip or anything, they'd be like, oh, so can we get your dance schedule first? <laughs> and le- let's work around that. Thing. But I'm so happy they think that way. You know, I don't have to tell them. You know, they already know. So those are the kinds of friends I love. So I don't have many friends. I have like two or three of them who really understand me in that way. So it's very easy. Like They know my needs all revolve around <laughs> my dance. My life revolves around it. So they're like, okay, so now Taji, can we know your dance schedule first before any of us uh, figure out our schedule? <laughs> there can only be one dancer. Exactly. <laughs> in any kind of relationship. I know. <laughs> this is hashtag story of my life. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I miss so many friends' weddings from when I was in college because I was in India. So they'll be like, oh, he's probably not going to come anyway, dance. He's in India. And then they won't send me an invitation. I'm like, gee, thank you. <laughs> it's kind of sad. But what's the best thing that happened to you this week? This week? We would love to say the podcast, but it doesn't mean <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> I should just say the podcast, you know, I've been because I've been like kind of prepping for this and going through your, you know, meticulously written emails and directions on how to I was like, wow, I was showing my sister and saying like, oh, wow, look at this, how, you know, meticulously it has been done and all the details in point form. And I hardly receive emails like that, where even when you were invited to speak at anything, you know, so detailed. And so I, I was. <laughs> I, I really like went through it so intently and I was really taken up and so I think the podcast is definitely <laughs> <laughs> thank you now what do you really feel <laughs> I don't know this week I think just doing, you know, technique class and rehearsals and I think those things have always been the highlight in my life. So, you know, performances and opportunities come and go, people come and go, students come and go, but it's always great to know every week that your teachers and the colleagues you dance with, they're always there with you. So that, you know, those technique classes become so important to me because of that even if it's like two, three people in class, those people are with you and they're going to be with you and your teacher is going to be sitting in front of you, correcting you. And 
I don't think everyone has that privilege as artists. So I think that's always the best thing for me every week, even if I don't hear some amazing news. You know, just having those moments are very special for me. So that's what I look forward to during the week. I think for me, it's uninterrupted studio time. Just like go there and you can practice your heart out. That's very hard to find. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of artists have that issue of studio time. Whereas we are so privileged here to have the, you know, school and the studio space we have right now. So, which my grandparents didn't have, actually. You know, they had to rent halls and go from studio to studio, you know, doing what they were doing. But for us, we have this permanent space and it's our own space. We don't rent it out. We only use it for our work and practices and teaching and stuff. So it's like this hundred foot kind of long hall which is completely empty and you can do whatever you want there. So that's just amazing <laughs> to have that space. Yeah. I love my fiance, but I always kind of think to myself, should I have gone with somebody who was rich so they can buy me a dance studio? <laughs> yeah, actually, my family does that. They're like, oh, you know, why can't you just like find someone who has some money who like support this whole company and you know save us <laughs> only you can do it and I'm like what no. <laughs> yeah I mean it's important to have even a partner who understands what you're doing and who supports it so I suppose another artist or you'd imagine that they would understand you better in that sense even there's no money even though there's no money so <laughs> <laughs> I think the understanding and that is more important in one sense. <laughs> no, I think that really comes from, I think, alignment and values, right? Because if the other person gets it, why we might be choosing something that's less lucrative or less quote unquote stable, then it becomes easier if we know someone's in our corner as opposed to having another voice pressuring us to follow the safe path of a career as opposed to choosing art. Yeah, I have to say, like, my cousin, my sister, they're not married to artists in that sense, but they have been really, really supportive of what we do as a family, as a company. And I think the women in the family are able to do what they do, the way they do it, because of their partners and, you know, who have supported them throughout. One of the ways that we end our episodes is we leave a call to action for our listeners. Is there a call to action that you'd like to share? As an artist who is practicing and performing a traditional art form, I feel that anyone from anybody practicing in South Asian forms, you know, they're so rooted. They're art forms that are so rooted and rich in culture, heritage, and the history of your you know, country. So in one sense, it's your identity. Even as a country, I feel like, especially in Sri Lanka, we are trying to find things to make us feel unique or bring out our identity, whereas people don't see that, you know, your culture and heritage is 
what will do that and i feel like here people only start to think of culture and heritage when you have to go abroad to study or something and then you know you have to go to university and be like oh this is my culture and heritage and then they come to learn dance or music it's not something that you can practice like that it takes time it takes energy you have to invest your time into it so if you're looking to be a professional dancer i think it's important to figure out how you want to do it because there are so many ways out there which can be appealing but may not always be the right way there are so many things that come through the challenges where you want to figure out how you want to do this because yeah money also becomes an issue through all this so i think covid has been like one of the biggest challenges for me it really tested me to figure out for myself and to know if this is really what i want to do and if this is what i really love to do then i would stick with it and i'm so glad i'm here talking about this and saying i stuck with it and i stayed on and yeah this is definitely what i love to do and i didn't let it go so i think if i wanted to do it any other way i had the options you know to go through that you know commercialized path but i wanted to kind of go in reverse not go back but you know go the other direction where i'm like okay i don't want to go with the flow and do what everyone else is doing because in my eyes that didn't really fall in the way of how my grandparents did it as an artist it's a constant questions to yourself during different times of your life because it really comes out through the dance when you're dancing if you're not in it then it really comes out and i think it's important to figure that out you can't be one leg here one leg there you are both legs have to be in the same place so uh yeah tahaji it was such a pleasure having you join us on our off season chats learned a lot actually because you not only talked about your journey by expanding the conversation and sharing the history and the practice and aesthetic practices of candian dance thank you for having me it's been a pleasure talking to the two of you and sharing my experience and my journey through the dance so far so <laughs> thank you thank you Today's episode of Off-Season Chats would not have been possible without the support and encouragement of our amazing listeners and the following people. We edit podcasts for audio engineering, Sangeeta Kaushik for graphic design of our logo, and a very special thanks to Wesley Beeks and Bertel King Jr. Like what you heard? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about us so that more people can find this show. You can also join our conversation by following us on social media at Off the Beat Dance on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or by visiting us at www.offthebeat.dance. We'd love to hear from you. Off the Beat is a passion project and we really need your help to make this podcast a long-term and sustainable venture. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com/offthebeatdance so that we can continue to bring you more content and together we can create a new dance future one beat at a time. Join us next week as we talk to Brinda Guha who is a New York-based Kathak Manipuri and contemporary dancer. This will be part 1 of a two-part episode featuring Brinda. 
Off Season Chats is an off the beat production. Ba-dee-na. 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 Ba-dee-na.